evening and welcome to Transatlantic History Ramblings with Lauren and Brian. I'm Lauren from Swansea in the United Kingdom and with me, as always, is... It is Brian in Buffalo, New York, USA, where it is now March. It's it is. March. It is. We're approaching a third of the year being gone, and I still got sharp little shards trying to pop through my gums. Just in case you wanted the tooth update right away. And, um, well, that was a bit abrupt. I didn't have the jingle for, <laughs> for the tooth update. I'll splice it in. Brian's tooth! Brian's tooth! Brian's tooth is missing! Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How goes it, Lord? It's going all right. University is getting a bit hardcore because... By the end of next month, the teaching will... Well, yeah, by the end of next month, the teaching will be over. And then I am um, fully committed to my dissertation, which has to be in, in September. Oh, my goodness. That, see how fast shit's going? I know. It's a 12-month it's a course. It, it, um, you don't get time off when you're a master's student. Well, you do. Um, but... You know, it, the, it's it's hard going work. I mean, it's a twenty thousand uh, piece of original research that you have to you have to get done. In, in, in like this semester, you get four sessions, guided sessions, and you also have a dissertation dissertation supervisor who you can take any questions to. But if you think about it, when you're writing a book, you know, you're not sort of pressed into getting it ready within you know six months of starting it. Especially if it's original research, it has to be researched, written, and handed in by the thirtieth of September. Yeah, that's kind of fast. Yeah, it is. So hopefully, with everything I've learned, I can get my book finished, and after. I hope so. Uh, and then um, probably try because uh, I'm not applying for anything further just yet because I don't want it to take away from my masters I, I want to be totally focused on that and then see you know where I go from there oh, that's nuts yeah but I hope I can continue with my research on prisons because it's quite interesting oh absolutely it's interesting and you know I know you were always interested in those to begin with anyway Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I never really thought about medieval prisons, to be quite honest with you. You kind of think, oh gosh, no, they didn't have prisons and they just locked people up in dungeons of, of castles and everything. But no, um, especially after the conquest, um, you, you have prisons, names which carry on right until the 19th century. I mean, Newgate was um, built at the end of the 12th century at the place that it was. Um, you had um, the Fleet and the King's Bench as well, and you also had the Clink. Um, I, I did, I did sort of try and think about keeping the Clink out of it because it, it's a bit of a cheesy um, museum now, and you don't really want to deal with that. But I found out that it started life as an ecclesiastical prison, so if you were a bad monk or, or a nun, you went to the Clink. See, and that's a slang term in America for prison. It's a slang. It's a slang um, term for it here as well. So you can't take it out if it's part of the slang. Well, I I took it out mainly because um, 
you know, it, it is a bit of a cheesy tourist destination. Um, and and um, I, I didn't, you know, I didn't quite know, you know, whether it, it held the same type of prisoners as Newgate. Because you've got to be careful because most of the imprisonment during the mid Middle Ages and at the time when the prison system was becoming established were debtors. I mean, policing wasn't what it was, you know, later on. So, you know, murders went, you know, the majority of the time went um, under the radar, so to speak. But, um, yeah, they they all, and, and also they all had different types of prisoner, like Newgate would have one set of prisoners. Um, the fleet was started life as, as a pr prison of the monarch and was the principal, was the second principal um jail next to the tower of london and then you had the and then you have the king's bench that d develops later but what's interesting is is that prison was an all-encompassing thing it it, um, it um it touched on every element of society except if you were jewish because then you dealt with the um that you dealt with the warden of the tower of london Hmm. Exclusively, and that—that's why, uh, that you know, that's why the majority of them ended up in the East End of London because they had to be in um, the part of the city where there was there was a king's castle because they were under the protection of the monarch. Um, and you find that the only place that they were imprisoned, even though that they that that there were certain things that they could use the normal law courts for. For example, if they if if they were um, in legal trouble or they were taking somebody to court, they would start off at the same point that everybody started off as, which was the justices and heir. Um, but you know, they, they would exclusively end up in their own courts. Hmm. And. Um, and and if they were and they were policed by the the warden of the Tower of London, and it's so funny because usually the Tower of London is the only one you think about. Yes, but you've got at that point as well as well as it, it it was a um, it was a palace. The the monarch lived there. Well, it, it, it was a fortification. It, it was a fortified palace. Where, where the there, there is, if you what, you've been to the tower, right? Yes. No, you you have. Well, no, I, I went by it. You've not gone in it. No. Well, there's there's royal apartments in there that belong to the Plantagenet monarchs. Huh. So pre, so post conquest monarchs. In conquest monarchs. They were French, so you know. Yeah, French. Pfft, the French. So, so they weren't always in London to rule. The, you know. Yeah, you know, and it's funny. Like you said, you, you, when you think of the tower, when you think of prisons, you don't think of. Uh, how should I put this? When I think of medieval prisons I don't even think of prisons I think of what, what do they call it when you, you, your head's in the, the, the thing with your hands sticking into it and you're like locked do you mean a dungeon sort of but what what did they actually call that where you're uh, 
where they put your head and hands on the wood. Oh, the stalks. Yeah, that's all I picture. That's like the medieval prison. Um, that's it. Well, they used to have fun, um, fun executions. I mean, it wasn't just hanging back in those days. It was you'd have, um, well, you'd have hanging, drawing, and quartering. You'd have the gibbet. Sounds delightful. Oh, sure, delightful. I guess that's one way of putting it. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't want to bum everybody out because torture isn't in my dissertation. It's just um, the cultural responses to prison, like how people responded. Um, not well. <laughs> um, well, prison wasn't wild, widely used. That's something that developed later. And the thing is, is because women were still under the jurisdictions of their husband, they didn't go to prison very often either they did and we have evidence of them going to prison and there is uh, during one of Newgate's um, restorations there was a woman's wing built there because at one point they were they shared the prison you know it, it was a unisex prison and they'd be on this they could potentially be on the same uh, wing as, as a male prisoner but then they were moved to their own separate wing. But it's very rare that women did end up. Yeah, you Most know, death. I got a question. And, and I don't know if you'll be able to answer this or not. And uh, this is serious. Were women's prison in medieval times more for what you would call mental cases? Um. They were under the jurisdiction of their husband, so um, there were hospitals. There, you know, Bethlehem Hospital, Bedlam, that was around. Because that's what I'm thinking, that, you know, it would be and almost that, like an asylum for the women, or like they're in prison because they're witches. Um, that would be seen more as a heretical crime, and that would be dealt by the church. Because, mm, you know, we're going to be talking about Satan the Satanic Panic tonight. Yes. So, so uh, that could be considered more of an ecclesiastical crime unless they were, um, unless it was focused on um, the monarch, unless it was, they found it to be a case of treason. But most women who, who were thought to have mental issues were either put in in places like Bedlam, or they were put in nunneries. Because nothing nunneries. says nothing says will cure crazy like becoming a nun. <laughs> well, yes, you know, turn to God and everything will be all right. Uh, sure, yeah. Do you ever see those horror movies about the nun? I think they're called the nun. <laughs> but then again, you know, they did have a knowledge of medicine, and they would have tried to. Um, Help. It would have been an imbalance of humours, of course. I don't know. Uh, how about just like, you know, they're all cray-cray, so let's make them all nuns. I like that. Uh, that's, uh, yeah. I mean, it... Did I ever tell you about the time I accidentally walked into a convent? <laughs> how did you accidentally walk into a convent? Well, me and this friend of mine were going to a nearby city to see a play that a friend of ours was in. 
and it was on this campus of this big school, this big uh, Catholic college or something. I don't know. And we couldn't find the building where the where the theater was because we weren't from there. So me and her are like walking around. It was a it was a girl I was with, and uh, we were like going up to these buildings, and we saw one had a light on. We said, "Oh, maybe that's where the theater is." So we walked up, and the door was open, and we walked in, and then there were all these, like, nuns in, like, in like Reeboks and Nikes, like, making popcorn. It was really weird. <laughs> and they all just kind of turned around and looked at us, and I just said, oh, I'm just here to drop her off. And I turned around and left. <laughs> and that's how Brian got dumped. It wasn't a girlfriend, but... Um, she came out, she was a little, she was a little pissed. A little. I'm surprised you're still living. You know what's really ironic now that I think about it? This was a Catholic school and the play they were putting on there was the Diary of Anne Frank. Huh. But that's alright. The nuns hit them. I, I know. It's just, you know, it was weird. But yeah, that was the time I accidentally walked into a convent. <laughs> and chaos ensued. They were, it was just weird. They were like making popcorn, like, like Jiffy Pop. It was, it, it was bizarre. They're allowed to eat popcorn, Brian. I know, but when you picture a convent, you picture like, I don't know, like chanting and praying and shit. Not a bunch of, you know, nuns in like tennis shoes making Jiffy Pop. It's just really bizarre. Yeah. You ever go into a convent, Lauren? Shit. What's that? I, I've been... <laughs> I've been in some that have, that are now empty and are just museums. Did they smell like popcorn? No, they did not. Hmm. Too bad. Maybe it's an American nun thing. Well, were they Catholic? I well, the thing is, is we don't have nuns in this country anymore. No, you got not none. Not really. <laughs> you got none. <laughs> 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 oh. Yeah, that's you know, um, every time every time you're mean to me, Cleo's gonna come along and butt you and you're bad to like just, I'm like, not being mean to you. I'm sorry. She will, you know. I know she will. But I'm not being mean to you. You want me to tell more jokes? No. Okay. Should we do days in history? Well, before that I want to speak to you about any feedback we've had on episodes so far, because Oh, I forget. Loretta Swit, people were going nuts for it. Although I did get one email that says, come on, tell the truth. That wasn't really Loretta Swit, was it? <laughs> yes, it was yeah. really. I'm like, yeah, like we're going to go out and hire a Loretta Swit impersonator. But yeah, um, people loved the Loretta Swit episode. They were just, you know, everyone is like, they cannot believe how unbelievably sweet she was. Oh, she is very lovely, very sweet. That's that's what I told people. I said, and you should have heard her when we were off the air. She was just every bit as sweet and nice. And, you know, she's texted me asking how Cleo was and stuff since. Wonderful. You've actually had text messages of her. Yeah, yeah. She, you know, how Cleo, she thinks Cleo is beautiful. And, uh. Yeah, we got that feedback. Um, yeah, I know you're looking, you're fishing for like Brian's obnoxious feedback. We haven't gotten any of that in a long time. The year is still I young, though. I, uh... <laughs> the year is still young. 
I think it's because I, I call you on it and they're like, yeah, yeah, the, you know, she's making people aware of it. We don't need to say anything. It could be that. Uh, so what else was there? We've got uh, good feedback. Um, oh, we've got people that are like going through the archives now. People going back and listening to early episodes, and it just freaks me out. It's like, oh my god, because you know, Laura, we're we're we've, we're we're in, we're in the seventies. No way. You know, we've done over seventy episodes. You know, we're in officially in the seventies in our episodes. Did you ever think we'd get that's, that that's that far? Amazing. No, I I I I didn't think we'd be good. I I I thought that you know we'd. We'd dip for a while, and then COVID would be over, and then we'd get too busy, and then we wouldn't have time to do it again. No, you were thinking, after three or five episodes, we're going to have nothing to talk about. Yeah, or (laughs) um, we're not going to be able to get guests, and it's just going to fizzle out. Um, No. Yeah, I, I I I didn't think COVID would still be going. A year after we started, because we started. We just keep going and going and going. We're like those fucking Energizer bunnies. I think we're coming up to our year anniversary as well. Yeah, we just passed it. Did we? Yeah, we did. We're in March already. I thought we started in March when the first lockdown happened. You know, I think you're right. I think, but we recorded before then. Yeah, I I know we recorded a teaser trailer. Yeah. Type thing. But, uh, yeah, we, we, we've been over a year and, uh, you know, 70 episodes. We've lasted more than most sitcoms in history. <laughs> and most yeah. Hollywood marriages we've outlasted. Oh. Except for um, Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson. Yeah. Well, you know, there's exceptions. <laughs> Mel Brooks and Anne Bancroft mm-hmm. were married forever. Yeah, and we're going to be podcast hosts forever. Forever. You know, that's the thing about the internet. It's forever. It is forever. And how fucked up is this shit? Like, like aliens could be hearing this shit if there's, like, space aliens. Because <laughs> this is all in the cloud. So there, <laughs> there might be civilizations on other planets that get this show and think this represents Earth. Um... Well, what um, what really is intriguing is that um, one day they will also get uh, the uh, signal um, to say that they've got Crippen on board or board the ship. <laughs> well, I'm telling you, what's going to happen is they're going to fucking land all wearing Pro Planet Pluto shirts. What about the ones that don't like, you know, that think, oh, no, it's not a planet? Yeah, there'll be a few of those. It'll start intergalactic war. And it'll be because Brian is obnoxious. Oh, I'm going dist- to bring about the end of the universe. What? I'm going to start this war between the aliens that are pro-planet Pluto and the aliens that don't like Pluto. It's going to start this big intergalactic war, and I'm going to destroy the whole universe. Yep, that's pretty much it. Yeah, well... Yeah, it's fun while it lasted. <laughs> Mother always said I'd be famous. That's right. Oh <laughs> uh, well, you know, just one of those things. What'd you do this year, Brian? I destroyed the universe. Yeah. 
But would they keep us alive though if they like their podcast to make us do more podcasts? I don't know. That'd be like. I think our podcast would be like the the poetry in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. (laughs) (laughs) There's like five people listening who got that joke right now. But that's okay. I got that joke. I know. You're one of the five. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I, I would actually like to do an episode about Hitchhiker's Guide. Do you want to know something very amazing? Yes, please. When I went to Highgate Cemetery, I saw Douglas Adams' gravestone. Ah, there you go. Yeah. And people do indeed leave him pens and towels. I was going to say, you better have taken your towel. I didn't. But next time I will. I um... I'll make sure that it says Pro Planet, Pro Planet Pluto on it and I'll leave him a pen as well. But we better get on to it. Uh, oh, give me a good day in history, Lauren. Come on, let's hear it. Today in history. <laughs> nice. I picked a good one today. What you got for March 1st? March 1st, 1692, in the town of Salem, Sarah Good, Sarah Osborne, and Tichaba are arrested for witchcraft. It's witchcraft. You know, you yes. are so good at this because we're doing satanic panic. And I know, right? You pick witchcraft like almost like you knew we were doing it. I know, right? Let me ask you, were they guilty? <laughs> I know they weren't guilty. Um I know, I know there's like recent scholarship, um, and scientific scholarship to suggest that it was some sort of um, like in there was um, a fungus in their bread that made them hallucinate. You know, there's a lot of people listening to the show right now going, "Where can I get this bread?" And that's that disturbs me a little bit, especially yeah, the people who really that's... liked our Grateful Dead episode. Um and and yeah um. But I think it was mass hysteria because it, it, and I also think of it, some of it was tactical against people that owned bits of land that would have, um, would have benefited other people. Probably. And racism. There's some of that in there. But I think it's mass hysteria um, because it's sort of, it, it sort of fit, finishes as abruptly as it started and then the poor old governor comes back and he's like well, what have you done I love that you keep calling it mass hysteria since it was in Massachusetts I know <laughs> but I, I do I think I think it was it was teenage girls being teenage girls and creating stories not that all teenage girls do that but really messed up teenage girls do and I just think it got out of hand and then it became so big that they couldn't stop because they would have got in trouble and then loads of people died. Yeah, you know, too much of a good thing just ruins it all. But then I think if you were to ask them years later that they would still say that what they went through was real because, you know, the fear becomes real. It manifests like the thing. Yeah, you mess your own head up. Absolutely. Because... Did you know, like, 
I'm going off topic, but it's really something um, that's interesting, is that there's a study uh, by some parapsychologists to, and it has been done, there was an experiment in Canada called the Philip Experiment, where they think now that if you put enough energy out there, and that if you say if you say something is haunted and it becomes it 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 becomes a, a big thing and everybody believes it's haunted phenomenon you know we start to cause the phenomena because we have created up this story of it being haunted haunted yeah i still don't buy it no but even if it's like a natural thing like a floor creaking because you have this massive thing where people have said have put it out there that it's haunted and that this happens and that happens you know you could have something natural as the floor settling in an old house and then all of a sudden that is a haunting yeah no don't buy it so so it's more of a psychological it's not like a ghost it's more of a psychological creation of a ghost so it's like ghosts with like phds if you say no it's just like we create them they're not something that that actually exists no no absolutely we can create the phenomenon i believe that um but like you said i don't think it exists like subconsciously create the phenomena but we attribute um paranormal meanings to things that are entirely natural yes like farting in the shower smelling worse no we had this discussion and we, we, we put it to bed. Let's you, leave it there. No, when you fart in bed and then you put the covers over someone's head, that's called the Dutch oven. My brother was telling me one time that he farted in bed and the fart crawled up next to him and curled up on his pillow and went to sleep next to him and actually drove him out of his own bed. I can imagine that. Yeah. So I go to my day in history instead of more fart talk. Yes, please. <laughs> Well, my day in history is going to be so fascinating for you, Lauren. You're going to love this. You ready? It's a sport one, isn't it? Today in history, March 1st, 1903, Major League Baseball updated the rule book stating the pitcher's mound can be no more than 15 inches above home plate or the baseline. 15 inches is fucking crazy. Right now, I completely. it's 10 inches is what the actual height is now, 10 inches. 15 inches? Pitcher would kill someone today. I'm sure they wouldn't kill someone. You know, the only time anybody ever died on the playing field of baseball was from being hit in the head with a pitch. Only happened once. It's actually, you know, I'm planning on doing a show about that incident because it's a really fascinating case, so we'll talk about that at another time. But I think we better get to our guest because... um, We've had him on hold for quite a while, and, uh, you know, I know you love horror novels, so I I got this new novelist, Rex Hurst, is coming on to discuss his new book, All About the Satanic Panic, and I think we're going to delve deep into the actual Satanic Panic of the 80s, so let's fire up that magic interview box. It's the magic interview box. All right, and I'm going to flip the switch, you ready? Ready! All right, Lauren, it worked again. Can you believe the luck we're having with this magic interview box? I know, it works all the time. Yeah, you know, I did a little tweak and I fixed it. It's all good. And tonight, ooh, tonight, 
prepare to be frightened and shocked and amazed because, Lauren, you were just a little, little tight back in the 80s. I was. And you were over in the wonderful UK where everything was safe and happy. <laughs> Actually, no, it wasn't. We sort of had, um, well, we didn't have satan satanic panic. We had video nasties back in the early 90s because of uh, the Jamie Bulger case. So we we did sort of go through a similar thing, but oh. with a different... Oh, it was similar, but what you guys did was ban some uh, VHS tapes. Mm -hmm. What we did in our country is lock up a whole lot of innocent people and ruin the lives of many, many others as a result of the satanic panic. That was overly dramatic. No, we, I lived through it. It was not overly dramatic. Well, no, what, your voice was overly dramatic then. Yeah, well, you know, it happens. Because I was accused of being one of the members of the satanic cult back then. <laughs> oh, I actually was. Well, let's face it, you were. Well, it probably was, yeah. But no, the police, the police in the town I lived in told my father that I was obviously a satanic cult member because I had long hair and I wore black clothing. Oh, yes. And you listen uh, to the satanic heavy metal music. Yeah. You, you accuse, I, I don't think you've got any room to speak because you accused the How It Works guy of being a satanist. Oh, too. I just accused the How It Works guy of being able to... Uh, hypnotize and brainwash people. I, I didn't see he actually said Satan is your friend. It's just he could say that. <laughs> but no, but seriously, um, the 80s were a pretty messed up time. And here's little, little, little inside information, Lauren. It was all bullshit. Yeah, of course it was. I've seen many, I, I've seen some documentaries on it and they, they explained, um, that it was unfounded, um, but the, my favorite one was that you you do you have had a, um, a rise in Satanists in America, because of and that they yeah and they did uh, try and get a statue of um, Beelzebub himself to try to put next to um, a religious one. Yeah, which is funny because those quote unquote Satanists are actually atheists. Yeah, they are. But I think it was their reaction. The reason that they wanted the statue was because um, I can't remember the studio that made the Ten Commandments, but the studio that made the Ten Commandments also commissioned these um, statues, and there was an X amount of statues, and they all got sent to to hall to town halls across America. Courthouses, and they're still, yeah, yeah, they're still there today. Yeah, and that's yeah. weird because because your state shouldn't um, mix with religion. No, it shouldn't, should it? But guess no. what it does. But you want to hear something fun? Imagine, if you will, that the everything in the satanic panic was real. And if you could put your mind there, you have the subject of our next guest's latest novel. This book, What Hell May Come, is... Okay, first off, with all due respect to Mr. Hurst, Rex, how are you, by the way? <laughs> I'm waiting for the insult to come. Well, it's not an insult. It's actually a compliment. Oh, backhanded compliment. Or it's a front-handed slap compliment, too. All right. This fucking twisted tale. <laughs> I will, I'll give it that, yeah. From the dark recesses of a mind. 
Um, it is, let's pretend the satanic panic actually happened and what the world would really be like for people. And uh, I think he nailed it. I really think he nailed it. So uh, welcome to the show, first and foremost. Thank you. And uh, before we really dive into like having some you know fun conversations, just give the audience a, a brief little teaser of the book itself. All right, I'll just give you the back cover. How's that? Sounds good. Set in 1986, John St. Fon's life is a living hell. Deliberately abused and neglected by his parents, the only way, the only joy he has in life is an escape into fantasy land of role-playing games. Soon he discovers that his parents are part of a secret occult religion with hidden ties all across the world. As John and his friends dig, they learn more secret, more of the secret history of the world and discover the power of making deals with creatures from beyond. However, power has its price, and as John and his friends quickly discover, one by one they begin to become consumed by their own desires and hatreds. So, in other words, having an average weekend. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Plus D&D. Yeah. Because if you remember, D&D was satanic. That's what I was going to bring up, that uh, a lot of the base of this book is around the the, um, the really messed up theory that Dungeons and Dragons would lead to devil worship and satanic ritual. Yes, indeed. Thank you, Jack Chick. <laughs> well, it wasn't just Jack Chick. It was uh, Pat Pulling, too, who wrote The Devil's Web, who was stalking her children for Satan. She started what they called uh, Bad, called Bothered About Dungeons and Dragons, and really, really started to push against them. Jack Chick just did one of his little pamphlets among many. See, I'm bothered by Dungeons and Dragons, too. Yeah, that's because you think everyone who plays is a loser. No, I don't think that. <laughs> okay. Most people, but not you everyone. used to. Okay, good. What it is is, see, my girlfriend likes that whole Dungeons and Dragons shit. Uh, and since the pandemic, she's had to, like, move in with me. So she's been living here for over a year. Right. And every once in a while, there's these fucking dice on the floor that I step on. Okay, yeah, the four-sided dice are like caltrops, right? They stick right into the bottom of your foot. They fucking hurt. Yes. So I think Satan might be in the dice. <laughs> Do they hurt worse than stepping on Lego? Well, yes. Yeah, probably. They're pointed. They're pointed. Oh. Yeah, we right. um, we have a new rule in the house that all dice must be in a dice bag at all times. Right. Well, have you ever, have you ever read The Devil's Web? Luckily, it's, no. It's no. It's a glorious book of um, of, of misinformation, misinterpretation, misrepresentation, just insan- and paranoid insanity. She connects child abuse in the occult to fantasy role playing games, to heavy black, uh, to heavy metal, black metal music, to other forms of what she calls entertainment violence. Which I guess I don't know. I don't know Schwarzenegger movies or probably video games. Of course, video games weren't that far along enough at the time for the people to really have a problem with it. No, Pac-Man was badass though. Yeah, I was exactly. I mean, that's that's the height of uh, of the game. And what what can you can't really complain? Pac-Man's violence and you know makes no sense. No, and and, and I do want to talk about the book, but that's going to be a little later because I really want to talk to you. All right. In the audience about the satanic panic itself, because you, became, you lived through it. 
you became, yeah, well, not only did we live through it, but you became quite an authority on it researching for this book. Right. And uh, first, I'm going to shoot out a couple questions for you. Okay, fine. Okay, one, I understand that they tried to blame heavy metal music and, you know, fantasy shit, but uh, how the fuck did the Smurfs get involved? Oh, they're satanic creatures who live in the woods. Um, They're not born of God's creatures, right? They cast spells. They're popular, so that's always a target. Um, I actually have a copy of Turmoil in this toy box right now. (laughs) Um, Maybe the Smurfs is in here somewhere. I know he pretty much much bashes everything else. He-Man is in here. Um, Let's see here. Sacrilege. He-Man was awesome. Oh, He-Man was Satan. Or um, what about She-Ra? Was. What about She-Ra? Was She-Ra Satan? Uh, yeah, of course she was. She was Satan because he, He-Man's master of the universe. And we all know Jesus is the master <laughs> of the universe. All right? Even and though... so thus, when the kids play with the dolls, they're really idols to uh, it's a new satanic power. And when no, they get older, they'll begin worshipping He-Man and not um... <laughs> Jesus. What about Skeletor? What about Skeletor? What if they go off the rails a little bit and then decide to follow Skeletor? Wouldn't that be even worse? Oh, yes, it is. Because even He-Man is a force for good and law and order. Because it's really an overlapping of Jesus versus Satan. But instead of He-Man, thus that's how sinister it is. That's how insidious it is. And She-Ra was a woman, so let's not get started on that. Oh, yeah, exactly. We all know women are the real problems. Yeah. Well, that's only the Catholics. Care Bears, My Little Pony. Care Bears, yeah, the Care Bears. It's like my whole entire childhood Satanists. Smurfs are probably one of the most cute and innocent of the toys. Um, Many forms of the occult are contained in this cartoon. But why were Care Bears seen as satanic? I mean, all they did was look cute and help people. Mm-hmm. Because, see, in a sense, Care Bears offer a form of humanistic psychology designed to include love involved in a spontaneously, uh, spontaneity with the goal of instilling a personal growth and achievement of the full human potential. Putting it simply, humanism teaches we are God, there is no absolutes, and we control our own destiny, which is the basis of occult Eastern religions and not Christianity. As Christians, <laughs> we know this not to be true. But what about why was why was My Little Pony? I mean, that was just so far fetched. That was just because there was there was unicorn My Little Ponies, and the unicorn quote is a symbol of the Antichrist, which the prophet Daniel described in his vision of the little horn which rises in the midst of the ten horns. These unicorns are magical and pure. Here's Uh, the uh, Lauren. You got to understand something. (laughs) As crazy as this shit sounds. I'm having my childhood torn apart, Brian. Well, Lauren, as crazy and insane as this sounds to you, people in the 80s believed this by the millions. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, oh I could understand it if they were saying the Oregon Trail was was off the devil, because that is off the devil, well, because you yeah. get dying of dysentery. Yeah. But My Little Ponies were cute and innocent and awesome. Yeah, but what's with the thing now with, like, the adult males that are into it and call themselves bronies? Uh, that, I, think they, I think they've pretty much just grown out of it. That was creepy. Well, the, <laughs> no. thing, is, the thing is, though, is My Little Pony has changed so much that people my age wouldn't, shouldn't be fans of them because they don't look right anymore. No, well, they're devil worshippers now. 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, do you want to hear what they say about the Smurfs? Yes. Yes, please. All right. Uh, let's see here. Many forms of the color contained in this cartoon. The most obvious display is through the character of Papa Smurf. Every time the Smurfs have a problem, they go to Papa Smurf, who whips up a spell or recites an incantation to help them out. These are very strong images to the child's mind. As Christians, we want children to learn to call on Lord Jesus to help them through his problems, not Papa Smurf. In his word, God helps us to trust him and only him. He tells us not to rely on practices such as witchcraft to solve our problems. So basically, exactly. they're telling us to take one imaginary friend over a different. Yeah, well, you know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, technically, Jesus is free, so it's a more economical one. Yeah, that's true. Although they do market Jesus dolls now. Do they? Oh, yeah, you can buy Jesus dolls. That's disturbing. All kinds of biblical uh, stuff like that. I love biblical. it. I have a Jesus doll. You got in trouble for having a Buddha is in your desk. Let's not go down this way. Is this a plushie or like an action figure? Action figure. Okay, you mean like out of that uh, that one movie, Dogma, the the Buddy Jesus oh, doll? Oh, the Buddy no, Christ. no, this is like you could buy them in like Christian like bookstores and stuff. All right, Jesus well, toys know, for kids. Some of them, well, I don't think you'll see to them down here because they consider it idolatry. Now, however, it does not come with the nails or the hammer. There is no oh, action well, to the Jesus fun. action figure. So they got refillable blood in his hands and feet? Yeah, and there's no Pontius Pilate, so, you know, whoever wanted yeah, to play with okay. just the good guy toys, you always wanted the bad guys, too. Yeah, exactly. It's no fun. I mean, he's got to have someone to fight. Mommy, please buy me some juice so I can hate them. <laughs> <gasps> That's awful! That's How basically what they're that? saying. I've got the super Judas style. Yeah. Oh, I'm telling you, this is, Lauren, the United States of America, as much as I love it, is a really fucked up country when it comes to religion. Well, it depends on what part of the country you're going to, though. Um, no, it's everywhere. It is everywhere, but it's different in every place. True. But, like, where I'm from, the Northeast, you'd think would be far more lenient. But, yeah, like I said, the police were trying to tell my father that I was a devil worshiper and I should be put into therapy. Well, they probably saw... You don't forget, there were those, uh, those, um videotapes that were being distributed to a police department yes. all over the country. That's what I wanted to get to next. Okay. There was a video called, I believe it was called The Law Enforcement Guide to Satan. Satanic practices and were in cult and worship. Yeah. And I think you could still watch it on YouTube. Yeah, you can. You can. Wow. It's hysterical now. Lauren, if you want to see how disturbing and how messed up our country was at the time, go watch that video. What's it called? Law Enforcement's Guide to Satan and Satanic Practice and Worship. It's a cheesy sort of 90s VHS tape, so it's a transfer off of there, and uh, they go into it. And the guy, the guy who claims to be an occultist and a, and a pre... Uh, he claims he was a satanic priest or something like that. Now he's reformed and come to Jesus. and All these guys claim that. I mean, the first person to really start the satanic panic is a, is a Christian comic called Michael Warwicky. And in the 70s, he wrote a book called The uh, the Satan Seller. And he wasn't a Satanist. And he claimed he had like 50,000 Satanists and all the Satanists and the worshippers and all this stuff. And it all turned out to be BS. And he's a terrible comic, too. Yeah, well, then, of course, I mentioned earlier, you had the Jack Chick comics. Right. Now, Lauren, I don't know if chicks ever were big over in the UK. Well, they're called no. chick, 
they're called chick tracks. They're sort of rectangular um, pamphlets that have a cartoon inside, have a comic strip inside telling uh, one of the stories of Jesus or something like that. Well, not really. Technically, they were they they were religious, but they were extremely fundamental fundamentalist really religious. And in America, especially then, now, now they're still around, and you'll still see them once in a while. You can order them. Well, yeah, but I mean, you never bought them, you never paid for them, but if you were on a bus, like a school bus, or in the hallway of your school, or in the grocery store, people would leave piles of them, hoping people would pick them up for free. And they were everywhere. And they were, like like Rex said, they're these fundamentally religious things. I mean, I remember there was one where they were trying to tell kids that the Pope was the Antichrist. Oh, yeah, because he's Catholic. The Pope is the Antichrist, and it's really a scam for Satan. And there was other ones where if you play Dungeons and Dragons, you'll become possessed by the devil and kill yourself. Now, that is a very famous one. I have a copy of it. I actually see them on sale for eBay occasionally for like 100 bucks. Uh, if you want to get it, they're out of print now. You have to like order 1,000. They'll do a special printing for you. <laughs> and that's called Dark Dungeons. And, you know, this normal kid, you know, and you can tell she was an 80s kid because she she's, she's drawn... And these things, don't forget, these chick tracks were actually well-drawn, too. Oh, yeah, they were. That's why they, kids <laughs> grabbed them. They liked them because they were actually good. Right. So this kid wearing a members-only jacket, she begins playing Dungeons & Dragons. And then through that, she reaches a level that begins teaching her real magic. And, <laughs> and uh, what happens is she begins casting spells on her parents to buy so she could buy more Dungeons & Dragons modules. But then one of her friends, her friend's character dies, whose his name was Blackleaf, and she the, the friend commits suicide because she takes it too seriously. Like you so do. She, she turns to Jesus. Well, that's kind of based on an actual thing that happened. Um, there was an actual case of a kid, but this kid also had a lot of mental problems as well, as well as uh, al- uh, alcoholic problems. And he was gay in the 70s, which was not that cool. No, the, the people didn't like it then. They um... James Dallas Egbert III. That was based on his case. Well, anytime then... you're given three names and a number, you got problems. Yes. Oh, yeah. I mean, Thurston Howell III was fine because he didn't have a middle name in there. <laughs> but, uh, you know, Chadsworth Osborne Jr.? Yes. Well, you are... It was uh... iffy. That was a Dobie Gillis reference. Lauren okay, never well, gets the old TV references I make. I know, my God. I don't know what they have over there. They don't understand Dobie Gillis. No, get this. She never saw Green Acres. What? You never even heard the theme song? No. <laughs> she never saw Mr. Ed. Mr. Who? Mr. Ed. <laughs> Fuck you, Rex. You okay. know Mr. Ed. Okay, Mr. Ed. Well, I yeah. I, the only time I watch is for the Clint Eastwood episode, though. Yeah, that was a good one. Well, it was a good one. Yeah, it was. You keep talking to me, horse, I'll shoot you in the face. <laughs> Pretty much that was the plot. <laughs> Mr. Ed not only got a tryout with the Dodgers, he also drove a car and he surfed and he did everything. He was a poet. Maybe he was Satan. Yeah, well, he probably was. There are certain fundamentalist groups. I'm sure that would have found it to be uh, the idea of... Uh, but then a lot of 60s TV was dealt with occult items, right? Yeah. It'd Bewitched. 
I dream a genie. All dealing with magic. But who didn't dream a genie? Because Barbara Eden was hot. I know. That was part of the allure of Satan. Okay, were you more into Samantha or, or Jeannie? Uh, I, Samantha. Come on, I was all about Jeannie. Oh, are you kidding me? Who played Samantha? It was Elizabeth Montgomery. Yeah, God. Barbara Eden. Any day. No, no, Elizabeth Montgomery. Dude. All right, all right. Dawn Wells or Tina Louise, Marianne or Ginger? Uh, Ginger, because she was easier. Yeah, I was all about Ginger. Mrs. Yeah. Howell, too, because she had the cash. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. According to Bob Denver, she was much easier. <laughs> <laughs> Lauren so, loves it when like, I have these rants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some men like a challenge, not me. Although I was always partial to Connie Hines, who was Wilbur's wife on Mr. Ed. She was hot. Mm. <laughs> but, you know. Lauren, who was your TV crush? I don't know. Oh, you have one. Come on. Um, I don't know. When I was very little, I did like Virgil from the Thunderbirds. <laughs> uh, ooh, the Thunderbirds Satan? Yeah, isn't that, isn't that, wasn't that a puppet show? Yeah. The Super Nation? I was like six or something. <laughs> <laughs> Were they Satanists? Yeah. Probably. Well, more than likely, but they didn't. They really didn't play over here too much. So that guy didn't see him. Now, moving right. along, just a couple years into the Satanic Panic. Well, uh, all right. Well, you know, back to the law enforcement thing. You oh see, yeah, when yeah, those, yeah, yeah. When that started coming out, that's when it really started getting dangerous. Before it was all just a bunch of idiots talking, right, and scaring a couple of uh, of of um, parents into believing such nonsense. But then, when they started targeting law enforcement, that's when people started getting locked up for idiocy. I remember one particular idiocy from my uh, youth. You you remember where I grew up, right? Oh yeah, you're not far from me. Right, exactly. And there's that golf course, Kitty Corner. Mm-hmm. Well, we went out there drunk one night, and we started. Uh, you, you remember how we used to? We set those uh, those um, torch bombs off that would shoot really high in the air. I was never part of that, but I do remember hearing about them. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We would, you know, we'd, uh, you know, we set a compressed air off, and we set it on fire, and we shoot these fireballs into the sky. Well, we were out. We were out in the. Uh, uh, in the sand traps, just doing that and messing around, and then we went home. The next a couple of days later, in the police blotter, I noticed that someone had called in saying that satanic rituals were being uh, <laughs> conducted <laughs> on the golf course that night. Wow. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's that's the sort of thing. They just took any strange thing, and they immediately slapped that label on. Yeah, I remember any time anything would happen in the little towns we grew up in. It was Satan. Satan did it. Satan, it's the occultists are here. Um, they're going to, like, they're going to kill everybody. They're going to, oh, it, was, it was ridiculous. But you're right, mm. when law enforcement really jumped in on it, it, it got Yeah, it got dangerous because now you're being targeted. Well, it's just like what happened to you. You're a Satanist. Obviously, that means when they sold your father that, that means they were looking at you for other crimes. Or they were looking at you for crimes. They consider those precursors. Yeah, which, you know, it's just ridiculous. I mean, their reasoning was, I had long hair and I wore black clothes. Right. So I was obviously a devil worshiper. I can imagine your mother's reaction to that would have been very strong. Oh, she was, she, yeah, she kind of, like, let them all have it. I'm kind of, 
I'm kind of surprised she wasn't arrested for assaulting somebody that night. I am too, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Things got really fucked up after the uh, publication of the book Michelle Remembers. Uh, I've got a copy of it right in front of me. Now, Lauren, have you ever heard of the book Michelle Remembers? No. That, well, you, you've no, you've felt its effects. I'm almost sure. Guaranteed. So, Rex, t- give give Lauren and the rest of the listeners a little bit of a background of Michelle Remembers. All right. This is written by Michelle Smith and Lawrence Panzer, uh, who is her psychiatrist. Now, it's not mentioned in the book, but what happened was both of these, he was her psychiatrist. And eventually, both of them divorced their respective spouses and ma- and married each other. So you could tell their relationship wasn't particularly, uh, well, professional, let's say. Oh, healthy. Right. Well, he began to put Michelle through a series of hypnotic episodes, which regressed her, quote-unquote, you know, I'm doing the quotes here, but you can't see it, which regressed her to her childhood, in which she began to uncover what they call uh, what, what what do they call it? um repressed memories of satanic abuse at the hands of her mother and she eventually wrote this book about it now the book as it goes i don't i can't believe anyone believed this book because as the book goes on her mother eventually took her away to this place where they did a 90 day ritual called the feast of the beast which they literally conjured up satan who spoke to them in rhyming couplets as he does yeah, yeah that's what she, I mean, she just doesn't say she was abused as a child. They conjured up Satan. Okay. <laughs> but did he speak in... Because the thing is, is you would imagine Satan just speaking in Latin. Latin. Um, I, I, there's, I, older, there's older ones than that. I don't know. I, 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 cause I, I guess that's the language that you associate with the... With the um, Early Christian church. church. Yeah, with the early church. Um, but I don't know. I, I just kind of don't see him being bothered to um, speak in rhyming couplets. That seems like a lot of effort that he he wouldn't need because obviously he's Satan. <laughs> so. well, I, I think she read too many comics. There's a de- there's a comic in the seventies called The Demon by Jack Kirby, who was a demon who spoke in rhyming couplets all the time. But and here's the funny thing, that. This book is that far-fetched. She was ritualistically abused as a child. Okay, which, which, which could have happened. Which could have happened. But, okay, but, of course, the book leaves out the fact that she was living with her mother and her two other uh, siblings, both of which not, said none of that happened. Yeah. All right, but she could have been abused. Absolutely. But I'm not saying she wasn't. I'm goes... saying she could have been. But to conjure up Satan, all these crazy rituals, and the book was a big bestseller. Oh, my God. It was all over the place. And it was debunked from the get-go. Right. From the very bit, but, that, but okay, debunking it is not a good story. The story is sensationalistic enough that debunking it actually took away from it. So a lot of these people brought, you know, you know, Oprah had them on. Yeah. Um, Phil Donahue had them on. Um, uh, this is before Geraldo. But, you know, all the equivalents had them on. Of course, you didn't mention the debunking. Well, they would say at the very end, what about those who say, you know, the last five minutes of the show when everyone's tuned out already? What about those who say you're crazy? I'm not crazy. Okay, thank you very much. Good night. You know. 
Yeah, and, and you mentioned Geraldo, which I'm glad you did, because you know, Geraldo <laughs> Rivera came to prominence for breaking an unbelievable story that was very important and something he should have done. Um, the investigative journalism he did with the Willowbrook Asylum. Oh, my God, that's that's heartbreaking. Now, God. Lauren, do you know that story at all? Um, I, know, um, I know some asylum whistleblower stories but i don't think i know that one well this was this was in new jersey if i'm not mistaken yeah and it was called the willowbrook academy i think and they dumped children children who were um they believed mentally disabled they were encouraged to leave the children there because they couldn't be brought up normally so any kids with at the time i think they diagnosed as you know imbecilic or any form of mental retardation they dumped these kids there with a skeleton staff nothing and this investigative local journalist heard about it and somehow got someone there to allow him and his cameras in and they exposed these kids that were just like naked in their own shit living in one room just malnourished and just like caged animals neglected beyond belief it makes titty cut follies look like a day spa. And uh, that was Geraldo Rivera who broke that. So he became huge as this, you know, savior of people and very respected, <clears throat> very admired, and people listened to him. Right. And lo and behold, in the 80s, he decided to do a giant televised expose that I believe got Super Bowl like ratings. Yes. Exposing the satanic panic. Was that before or after the Al Capone vault thing? It was before. Okay, right. Oh, I, I've heard about the Al Capone vault. There was nothing there. No, no. But he that did this three-hour television event. Which you can catch on YouTube. Yeah, exposing the world to devil worship by having such people as Ozzy Osbourne on. Anton LaVey. You know, two con artists, basically. Yeah, essentially. Well, and, uh, I don't know. I find I find Levain's uh, satanic philosophy. Well, it's more of a philosophy than a religion, if in any case. Well, it always was, but he was always more of a con man anyway. He was a carny. Oh yeah, he's a carny. He's a lion tamer. And he knew how that's, to. That's uh, the circus. That's the circus, not the carnival. Well, he was an organist in the carnival too. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, very good organist actually. There's a documentary about him where he's playing the organ in his home, and he's really good. But uh, I uh, is, that called, is that Satanus? I'm trying to remember. I haven't seen it in years. Yeah, um, I think I have a copy of it around here somewhere. But uh, this Geraldo Satan special, I mean, people ate this shit up because now Geraldo's telling us it's true. Right. So Ozzy, so Ozzy Osbourne, who was more than likely high on drugs and or alcohol went on and told everybody Satan is real and they believed it. No, no, no. Well, he was there defending it. That he, was defend, he was defending heavy metal music. Yeah, because they were saying heavy metal was satanic and led to it. And he's on there basically saying, I'm an entertainer. I'm basically a blues singer from, from England. Yeah. Well, he didn't do it very well. Well, he was <laughs> wasted. He was wasted. Well, Ozzy never had a good stage presence anyway. No, he always he looked like he was wasted. Yeah, that's why I remember the old Black Sabbath interviews. It was always Geezer or Tony that talked. Right. Um, 
But yeah, so now you have Michelle Remembers, national bestseller, Phil Donahue, Oprah Winfrey, bringing him on. I believe Mike Douglas had people on. Oh, yeah. And, Everyone did. Everyone did. And um, then I, I, Was Heraldo. Nick Cavett around still then? What's that? Tom, Tom Schneider. That might have been during one of his hiatuses, but if he was around, I'm sure he did it too. Right. So then you get Geraldo, who the whole country trusts now. <laughs> God, it's kind of funny to think back. That was a time when that was true. <laughs> I know, and I'm sure people listening to this now are going to laugh at that, but, I mean, people. That they, was the truth. It was the truth. He was like, he was the most respected name in hard journalism at the time. Uh, right. And there he is telling us all that, you know, people wearing black with long hair are going to be, you know, animal-killing, baby-slaughtering devil worshippers. Right. And that there's a secret underground satanic cult secretly, you know, behind uh, most of the entertainment industry. Which is funny, because they're claiming that again now. Yes, there are. People do not learn from their mistakes. No. I mean, we don't, we could say never again, but it happens again and over and over again. That Geraldo was one hell of a guy, wasn't he? Oh, he proved to be. I mean, he was almost as good as Morton Downey Jr. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you know what? I rewatched some of those Morton Downey Jr. ones, and they're pretty. That's some fun television. It was great television. The documentary about Morton Downey Jr. is hilarious. Oh yeah, it's great. But I and mean, I, I forgot just how he got in your face. I mean, he's not hiding on the camera. He'd get right up there in that guy's face. No, and I don't think what a lot of people don't realize is that Mort didn't believe his own shit. Didn't he? No. Uh -oh. it, it was all showbiz. It's, I'm going to be so extreme and crazy that you're going to love me. Right. And Why do you think look, two people came off of that show as becoming super famous because of that show? Yeah. Morton Downey Jr. and Al Sharpton. Mm-hmm. I noticed Al Sharpton wasn't on the documentary. Yeah, he was, actually. He was. Yeah. I didn't see him. Yeah, Were well... Uh, no, the clips about him, but he didn't appear in it. You're right. Modern day, he didn't appear in it. Yeah, but they were in crap. cahoots together. They were both like, "Come on, man, let's uh, you know, let's build this up." Yeah, it was great, and it was fun television. I mean, I went to see him live when he did the tour, and when his guest was Timothy Leary. Mm. And the great thing about that is, you know, people in the audience were all going nuts, like, "Yeah, Mort, go get him." Well, they didn't realize that they were doing this same show in every city night after night. It was always him and Timothy Leary. Right. So how spontaneous is it going to be on <laughs> a full tour night after night? It was showbiz, people. But back to the satanic panic. Right. Okay. So. So we've, we've pretty much. Uh, Geraldo Rivera. We've okay. pooped on Geraldo's right. Let's head. Let's move on beyond him, Okay. Let's move on. Yeah, let's poop. Let's get stop pooping on her. Right. So he did that there, and then we had what? Well, we had actual court cases pop up. Well, we Perry had County, uh, yeah, and the West Memphis Three, and we had uh, the uh, the uh, daycare centers in uh, where was it, California? Yep. Which is just insane. Don't forget that's how Jan Reno got um, famous. Yeah, the, 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 the Bakersfield, California. Um, Satanic panic scare. Yeah, and, you know, a lot of that was based on Michelle Remembers. Right, it was. It was based upon them hypnotizing children, and they brought in this uh, couple that were fanatical, to say the least, 
to interview the children who were accusing all of these people of uh, having, uh, of you know, uh, sexually uh, abusing their children and treating them to uh, Satanism. As it turned out, um, there were, what, 30 convictions? 26. I just looked it up. 26 convictions. 25 were overwhelmed. Uh, 25 were overturned, except for the one guy who turned out he actually was a pedophile. Yeah, it's uh, 26 convictions, uh, 26 people in jail, um, despite a complete lack of physical evidence of any of the claims. Right. Because based purely on emotion, rhetoric, and, you know, hysteria at the time. And that's, you know, that's, and then Jana Reno, she became what? Um, Attorney General, based off yeah. of those. That, that task force she said. So every time I see her, I'm just like, you know, talk about, you know, <laughs> every time she gets, stands up there in the text, uh, you know, the, she gets some reward about being an outstanding woman. I was like, ugh, no, she's not. She's terrible. And it's funny because... Hey, she built it out the corpses of innocent people. Well, they also go to talk about the people involved in it. And the uh, the um, the children involved it? in it. Right. To this day are all fucked up and say they're messed up and it caused damage to the rest of their lives because they were traumatized by the false testimonies they were told to give. They were making these kids say things when they were ch- little kids that were just horrific, that weren't true. I mean, one guy spent over 20 years in prison for this. Right. And then you had the McMartin trial. Um, oh, good. Yeah. Which is... Sorry, I was just talking about this with my wife. I mean, th- this is terrifying. Right. For it, what? Well, I mean, I mean, for, for, for hysteria? Yeah. For nonsense? Almost for status, because the way they were talking... Yeah, which, you know, one claim is my child was molested, you know, three times. Well, my child was molested five times. I've never, you know. And, and, you know, I never want to say, like, you can't take anything like that seriously because it is always possible that something is going on. But claims in some of these cases got so crazy. Like, yeah, because they had to get worse and worse and there worse. There were these vast underground tunnels with satanic temples all through them. Mm-hmm. And then the police would go there, and there's no underground tunnels, there's no satanic temples, but yet they still tried these people for it. That was, well, yeah. That was the scary thing about the satanic panic, is that... It sounds like Salem. It sounds like it was just like a modern Salem. It, it was, was, but it, it had uh, longer-reaching effects. Well, no one was executed for it, almost. People were attacked for it. Oh, yeah, big time. You know, lives were ruined, and there were do-gooders who were out there hunting devil-worshipping kids, you know. So, I mean, it was it was crazy. Um, and it was a scary time to live through. I mean, we were young during the height of it. Right. But, I mean, I'll never forget it. I mean, it was just, it was everywhere. And, you know, you had... And it was targeting youth culture more than anything else. Yes. So you had everyone looking at you cockeyed. Yes, it was religious fundamentalism. If you, wearing, if you were wearing a Kip Winger shirt. Yeah. I thought you were saying that. Yeah, all your teachers, the police, they were trying to convince all of your parents that if you did anything that a normal young kid or a teenager would do, you were automatically a devil worshiper. Well, that's the thing, though. I mean, yeah, I mean, uh, apart from, I don't know what, wear button-down shirts? Well, it was. Listen to Pat yeah. It was essentially, um, 
it was what it, it was extreme Christian fundamentalism trying to take control. Right. But the problem it didn't present itself as extreme uh, fundamentalism. No, it never does. They, they left out they left out the religious parts except for the Satanism, and pushed that. Well, and that's the thing. Anytime you get extreme fundamentalism, they will try to attack anything that doesn't that takes away any of their power and try to destroy it. Right. But well, they targeted the youth, and and what they what they thought would happen well, was all these kids would repent target. and turn to Jesus and give them money. <laughs> Right. I mean, well, the, the youth culture is always the easiest one to target. I mean, it, it happened in the 50s with the, the comic book, you know, the Tencent Plague. Oh, yeah, we did a whole episode on that. Right, exactly. Um, and, uh, you know, with Elvis Presley, uh, they wouldn't film him above the waist. I mean, well, they could only film above that, the that, waist. That did traumatize me. Yes. But, you know, all of that, you know, you listen to Buddy Holly and the, you know, Buddy Holly and the crickets and Bill Haley and the comets. And that was considered, uh, you know, hardcore to them. That was hardcore heavy metal music back in the day. That was considered, uh, you know, uh, what? I, almost satanic without being satanic. That was amoral, you know, well, it sexualization. That would lead to ruin of everyone. But, yeah, but the, like you said, they always use a different excuse. Whereas in the 80s, it was the fear of Satan. In the 50s, right. it was the fear of black society and black culture. Right, exactly. You, your white suburban kids are listening to black music. You know, I mean, that's what they tried to scare people with. Well, they did. Well, here's the thing. The problem was, we keep saying, like, they tried to scare them, but these people who, who talked, the reason they were so successful is because they believed it themselves. They yes. believed all the stuff they were saying. Terrifyingly except enough, the yeah. ones that were, Well, yeah, except the ones that are really mentally ill. I mean, especially the ones that are real mentally ill. Believed all the crap that was coming out of their mouths. I mean, Michelle convinced her, um, you know, for Michelle, remember, they actually did, pro I think she really convinced her, um, her psychiatrist that this had happened. See, um, I don't know about that one. Well, I mean. I think it's the other way around. Oh, you think he even planted it in her? I think he convinced her because he knew they could sell it. Well, it's a possibility. It's very easy for a therapist to fuck up a patient's head like that. Especially when she's obviously already attracted to him. And does that mean she's is she a victim or part of it? Because she believed it. He put that in her head, I think. All right. So that makes her as much a victim. Uh, sort of. She went along with it. Yes, but I think she believed it, like you said. Right, oh yeah, she began to believe it because she obviously had mental issues and uh, she just wanted to fit in. So I think she was allowed, she was hypnotized and she allowed it to happen to her. Now, th there's now, obviously... There's other ones too. There's other books too. Did you ever read Satan's Underground? I have, actually. Lauren Stratford, they got a list here of what the, of the satanic plan was. It was to uh, bring about personal debts causing discord and disharmony within families, remove, educate the new age youth by infiltrating boys and girls groups and big brother and big sister programs, right? Mm -hmm. Infiltrating schools, having prayers removed, having teachers teach about drugs, sex, and freedoms. Bastards. <laughs> I know. Instigating, promoting rebellion against authority of parents and all authority, even though that had been going on forever. 
Well, that's part of the youth. Right, I know. Uh, to have laws changed to benefit our way, the satanic ways, such as open drug and pornography market to everyone. Actually, that's kind of happened, hasn't it? Pretty much at least the pornography one is. The internet brought that upon us. Yeah, I know. That was a weird side effect, but uh, yeah, pretty much, yeah. And we're, well, Jesus, some of these drug laws that they're coming along with. Well, and, and it's funny. There, there are those who genuinely believe it. Right. There are... Well, I think there's a level. First is the huckster mm-hmm. who, convinces a lot, who convinces a lot of other people. Because at the very core, since all these have been just proven true, the, it starts with a con, a good con. And the best con, of course, is one where you don't actually have to talk to people. You just write the book, you make the movie, you make the, 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 the bias documentary, and that's where you get your true believers from. Well, then you get the opportunists to come along after the fact. Right. Um, in the case of the Satanic Panic, the televangelists who came along and made millions and millions off of this. Not just off of this, though. No, but I'm just saying they're, they're the opportunists. And right. that happens yeah. in any movement like this. The problem is they convince even more people. Right. And then it becomes like a game of telephone. Yeah. Which is funny because I, I think Satan would have better things to do than to fuck Me with too. the Care Bears. <laughs> Me too. I mean, he would have enjoyed city. Skeletor. He would have enjoyed Skeletor. I mean, they would have been. I mean, he he would probably, and you know, they would be best friends. They'd be besties. Yeah. <laughs> and Mamra, I think he'd appreciate Mamra too. Could be, but you know, why has he got to fuck with the Care Bears, right? I know, right? That's awful. All children, everything got it. Not just the Care Bears. Uh, there were there were some obviously twisted toys. You know, GI Joe fucked up. It was just war propaganda. Uh, GI Joe's not in here. But uh, you know why? Why? <laughs> why do you think that is? I know why. Yes. Exactly, because they're pro because they're pro military, it's pro United States. It was pro America. Pro Real money. American hero. Yeah, pro, pro money off of war. You know, it's they're on the same side. But I remember being told that um and, and going back even before being a teenager being accused of uh of of the being devil worshipper. I remember being younger than that and having adults tell me that watching wrestling would make you a homosexual. <laughs> you remember that one? I know. I did not hear that one. Oh, yeah, because you were watching men in in tights and they were muscular. Yes. And so it's like the people saying it, you could tell we're getting off on it. <laughs> As you can see, Lauren, America in the 80s were really... It wasn't all just, you know, happy Ronald Reagan is the cowboy stories. Well, we didn't even talk about mazes and monsters yet. No, that's, I was, I was going to say, now we got to talk about Dungeons and Dragons, mazes and monsters. And really the focal point of, of, of your book, the the launching point. So give us some background. Okay. Well, this is, um, okay. There was a kid who, by the name of James Dallas Egbert, the third, who disappeared. Um, and of course he had, he had a lot of problems. He was a uh, gay, he had uh, problems, substance abuse problems, but when he disappeared from his college, the parents naturally 
blame Dungeons and Dragons. Like you do. Like you do. Well, just like, you know, like the kid who tried to shoot himself, they blame Judas Priest. Yeah, yeah. Now, this was taken and boiled down into a novel by Rona Jaffe called Mazes and Monsters. The interesting thing was, you know, I have a copy of, of Mazes and Monsters. I have it signed by Tom Hanks, by the way. How'd you get that? I went up to him. And, I, you know, uh, it was when I was in California. I went up to him and I said, hey, can, you get, can I get your autograph? And he's a really nice guy. And he took a look at it and laughed <laughs> and signed it. Wow. Because. Oh, well, I, I'm getting ahead of myself. There's a reason why Tom Hanks laughed because that was his first one of his first movie roles was in the the uh, the movie of the week version of Mazes and Monsters. Uh, I know, I remember the movie. Right, where Tom Hanks is the one that gets the, too far in the Dungeons and Dragons and kill and stabs a guy and goes crazy. Mm-hmm. It's on it's on it's on YouTube too if you want to check it out. I mean, it's over the top batshit insanity. Yeah, you know, these books are obviously written by people who don't know anything about Dungeons who never played a role playing game, oh. but. Yeah. Well, that started up the whole thing. The whole thing was, um, a lot of it wasn't just the satanic presence, though I, I deal with it. A lot of people thought that the, the game involved the kids going too far into fantasy and not being able to tell reality anymore. Which is what they claim about video games now. Right. Exactly. They said they wouldn't be able to tell you know reality from... Um, or they would they would they would spend too much time in this fantasy world and not want to actually grow up and become a productive member of society. Because who wouldn't rather <laughs> play a game than actually then go to their drudgery work? And these dirty people in this country have manipulated the public into believing reality isn't reality by calling something reality television when it's all bullshit. Right. <laughs> I know. It was just a precursor for how modern life is. Yeah. I understand. Uh, Dungeons and Dragons did have certain elements. They had creatures, they had demons, and they had devils in it that your characters could fight. Um, yeah, but so did Dante. I'm aware of this, but Dante <laughs> is 1,100 years old, and you're not going to get rid of it. This was something new that people didn't really understand. Thus, you could easily demonize it. That's why when something new comes out that's big, everyone flips out about it. I don't really understand it either, except that the fucking dice hurt when you step on them. All right, you know, it's a game. You know, I I have the Christian version of Dungeons and Dragons over here too. What's it called? It's called Dragon Raid. Oh. And 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 you get point you get experience points for absolving conflicts without violence. Do you think they'd call it something like I you kid know, you not. Halos and Wings or something? <laughs> I don't think yeah, because they want people to actually buy it, so they gave it a cool name. Oh, well, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, there was a Christian version of Dungeons and Dragons. If someone acted too violent, you're supposed to take the person aside, talk to them about how real Christians are supposed to act. <laughs> it's all in the rules. I know it's hysterical. And I'm like, there's a reason. <laughs> yeah, well, gee. <laughs> uh, the reason why Dungeons and Dragons is so popular at the time is because you could really act out your frustrations and your egos in there. Hey, Rex. Well, I've had a bad day. I'm going to kill some, you know, paper orcs. Rex, hold on a second. Hey, Lauren. Yeah? Ansel's a big yeah. uh, gaming guy, right? He is of the indeed. Cri- Where are you going with this? Well, do you think we could get uh, Ansel to come back on the show at some point with me, you, and Rex, and the four of us can do, like, a live stream version of the Christian D&D? <laughs> well, 
as as long as Sarah just as long as Sarah will join in too, then yes, because no. I don't want to be the only girl. I don't want I don't want those. We can get Ansel's wife to join in because Sarah will bring those dice that hurt my feet. Ah, <laughs> oh, you've got PTSD over those over those dice, haven't you? I do, but I want to hear more about this Christian D and D, don't you? Yes, I, I I am very intrigued. All right, Rex, let's hear about this Christian D and D a little more detail. All right, I'm opening the box right now. Like, do you get That's bonus a... points for playing like a striper? Oh uh, well, you know they they printed at cross at cost, but it's actually pretty well put together. It's very nice. Um, well, you go into this fantasy land that still has Jesus in it, and you have, you know, the the, the standard Dungeons and Dragons strength. You have your statistics: strength, intelligence. Um, what a constitution, dexterity, and charisma. But instead, here you have joy, love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. <laughs> Guess we know what that's about. No whacking during the game. Yeah, no whacking during the game. All right. You're not allowed to hit anybody. That's no, you know, well, you can, but only in self-defense. And you have to find, uh, you know. You have, uh, uh, what are they called? The, the characters are called Light Raiders. <laughs> I haven't read too much into it, because I didn't know anyone actually would want to play this thing. Oh, we're going to play this. We're going to live stream this. Oh, my God. And um, essentially, uh, you're defenders of what they call the Overlord, which is, you know, Jesus or Aslan. And, um, you know, you have the forces of evil coming down, the orcs, the, the dragons, or what have you. It runs a lot like a regular role-playing game. And Ozzy Osbourne. And Ozzy Osbourne and all that stuff, except you're supposed to um, find Christian solution. They're supposed to, it's a game that's supposed to uh, compound Christian solutions to these fantasy problems. I think uh, I think we're going to set a date. We're going to live stream this. Okay, all right. Yeah, no problem, man. I'll learn it. I'll well, learn it. Yeah. I've never played a role-playing game in my life. How many players do you have? How many what? How many players are we allowed to have? Well, there's the uh, Dungeon Master, which is me. I don't think they call it the Dungeon Master there, but whatever. And then you can have up to four. That's usually a good amount. Three or four. Perfect. We'll get Ansel. Can we make it a drinking <laughs> game? Oh, I, I would prefer it if you I think we've got enough guests to fit that. Yeah, drinking game. <coughs> oh, count me in then, definitely. No. <laughs> no, no drinking if it... Well, you know, you could just pretend oh, to drink. Poor Christians. Besmirching their game. Well, technically, they besmirched Dungeons and Dragons. Well, yeah, they did. Well, hang on a minute. You know that we talk a lot about religion on this show, right? I have been having a lot of Facebook ads for cassettes. <laughs> You mean like Catholic cassocks? Yeah. Cassocks, yeah, priest cassocks. And I'm like, what? It's ridiculous. Yes, your phone listens to you. Tell them you're Church of England. They shouldn't give you those. Oh, uh, yeah. Church of England, but we sing dreary songs. <laughs> yeah. Hey, get this, Rex. She's right, in yeah. Wales. It's not even England. Oh, God, Wales. No. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> Just know no, that's the normal reaction. <laughs> you need half a pound of uh, phlegm in your throat to pronounce the place names. Ooh, Lauren, how do you say Dungeons and Dragons in Welsh? Yeah. 
It's Dierdi Adraig. That sounds pretty cool, actually. That's actually kind of pretty. Yeah. Now say that we're all devil worshippers for playing it. Of course, this all comes back to my book. It does. Well, because the kid becomes involved in satanic practices through role-playing with Dungeons & Dragons. Just like in all the... Um, just, <laughs> just, just like everyone said you would. Of course, I've gotten a lot of people who complain about it. Really? Well, the one, the biggest complaint that I thought was ridiculous... Right, some people didn't like uh, some of the element plots, which was fine. The worst one I was, was some guy complained that uh, pretending... Um, he was going off about how satanic panic, you know, um, uh, uh, what was it, per, uh, uh, persecuted LGBTQ people. And, of course, it wasn't just that. It was, you know, everyone. It was everyone. He, he claimed that, you know, seeing if it was, you know, uh, writing a book, mentioning it was all true, justified the attacks against such people. Um, obviously, he doesn't know what fiction is. Yeah, I know exactly. He said, "Well, it's an attacking such people. It's an affront to you know." And I was like, "You don't know." I don't think he finished reading the book either. No, what people don't you wrote an alternate reality to what we were told was the truth. Right. You basically said, "What if it was true? Here's what it would have looked like." And it's pretty dark, and it's pretty nasty, and that's how it should be because that's what we were told it was. Right, and it's over the top too. Which is what we were told it was. Right, this is not, yeah, is, a lot of people, uh, some people are buying it thinking it's, uh, you know, tongue-in-cheek sort of writing, and it's not. Well, there is, there's some dark humor in it. Yeah, oh yeah. The Mexican whorehouse scene? Yeah, but to put yourself in the mindset that this were to be true, and this is what we were they were trying to scare us into, and, alright, you want to scare me with this shit? I'll show you what it is. There's a certain element of dark humor to that, even though it's not comedy. D- does that make sense? Oh, yeah. It's a, it's a parody. It's a thumbing the nose. Yeah. Even if you didn't intend it to be funny, there is something dark. There's dark comedy about it. Intentional or not, it has to be just on the basis of what it is. Basically. And, you know, the thing was, I was planning on writing a horror novel. Um, and I started reading about... I just picked up a couple of old books I had, which were about the Satanic Panic. It was actually, uh, it was the, it was uh, the Satan Seller by Michael Warkey. and um, oh gosh, what was the name of that one Manson girl who turned to fundamentalist Jesus? One of her <laughs> books, and that, and that was part of the Satanic Panic. I think literature should be considered. It's called Child of Satan, Child of God. My favorite was still Backwards Masking Unmasked. Oh, oh my God! Yeah, you know, I didn't, I didn't touch that unfortunately in the book. I didn't get a chance to. Maybe in the sequel, I'll get into that. Yeah, because that book was hilarious, and I ruined see? many a turntable needle <laughs> trying to hear those messages from that book. Oh God, <laughs> they're not there. Well, some of them are, which is funny. Really. My favorite one, and it was, I read it in Backwards Masking Unmasked, and I'm like, there's no fucking way this is true. Is if you listen to Queens, another one bites the dust. And the section towards the end of the song where all the instruments stop and you just hear the, the bass drum beat, and Freddie saying another one bites the dust. Hey, hey, another, you remember that section? Of course. Spin that backwards, 
and it does say, clear as a fucking bell, start to smoke marijuana. <laughs> I almost shit myself when I found out that one actually was there. Oh my god. That's the only one I could find, though. Except the Beatles ones, because they did that on purpose. Right. But, uh, yeah, so your book really just says, all right, fuckers, you said this is what it was, here we go. I don't know. Someone here knows of the past authoritarians who wanted to rule us, right? Who wanted to tell us what to believe and what not to believe. And, you know, that's the other thing, too, is we didn't, re- we never believed it when we were kids. No. And I don't, I, I don't, I, the, the other people who I, I met that believed it were really old or really young because they were too impressionable. Well, little kids were scared. Right. But then, you know, but little, you know, little kids are scared of everything until they get used to it. Yeah. So, I mean, I remember thinking that's all bullshit. It was all bullshit. Well, it was. It was absolutely bullshit. But, you know, there were, a lot of it was that rebellious sense of being a teenager then. Oh, you think I'm a Satanist? Okay, then I'll give you devil horns with my hand and, uh, you know, freak you out. Yeah. Um, but it, it was... It was a great, great uh, idea for a horror novel. It was horrible uh-huh. to live through. But it was a great idea for well, a horror novel. You know, you were acting like we were running around constantly being attacked and scared of it, but it, it would pop up occasionally in our lives. Yeah. We weren't, we weren't living in mortal dread day to day because of it. No, but it was just, it's a very sad statement right. of what the time was. Because people would come up to you occasionally if you're in the mall and say something to you. And you're like, who the hell are you? And you get a lot of religious shit handed to you. That happened to me. And I'm like, get lost. You know, I don't want to hear your garbage. I don't know who you are. Yeah, you would get a lot more people giving you religious pamphlets then. Yeah, I noticed that. I think it's because they they got all kicked out of the um, airports. Yeah. To the malls. (laughs) Oh. God, the mall. See, we just dated ourselves there. Yeah, well, I, you know, the whole thing dates us. <laughs> so I was hanging out at the mall, drinking a Slurpee mm. outside of Spencer's. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just giving the cool look to the chicks over my fake Ray-Bans. Yeah. I saw this kid, I saw this cute one coming out of Walden Books. <laughs> so I said, she's too smart. Yeah, exactly, man. But she was totally tubular. Yeah, she was into me, dude. <laughs> Lauren. This, so I slipped her a picture of myself with my phone number on it. I was just going to say, <laughs> Rex and I, when we were younger, we actually knew this guy who's, I'm not going to give his full name out, but his name was Craig. And Craig used to carry wallet-sized photos of himself with his phone number on the back. And he would just walk up to random girls in the mall and hand them his own photograph and say, you're beautiful, call me. Smooth. <laughs> uh, the capital smooth. Oh, what a guy. Uh, so, we're, we're over the hour mark, so we got to wrap this up soon, but I want to know, A, are you planning a sequel to this novel? Well, you know, I mean, it's on the short list at this point for a Stoker Award. Exactly. No, it hasn't been nominated yet, but it's uh, it's it's among uh, ten that may get nominated. So I'm like, 
Well, the thing, the reaction is uh, it's been let's say mixed. Mm-hmm. A lot of people love it, and a lot of people hate it. Um, <laughs> if, if um, they, they say it's a little bit nihilistic, which I suppose it is nihilistic, but yeah, I think um, if it goes if it goes to, goes the distance, at least in the awards category, I will definitely write a sequel, and I'll set it in the nineties. Oh, by the way, uh, outside outside of the thing, next time we're in town, yes. Okay, we have to get together because Cat has never seen the Love Butcher, so we oh. need to sit down and do that. Cat is his wife, not uh, not an actual cat, Lauren. Just in case you're wondering. <laughs> no, I, I guess. And the Love Butcher is the greatest film of all time. We've had. Are this you argument. gonna eat dust while you watch? Yes, we're gonna eat dust. <laughs> we're gonna drink Killian's Irish Red, and we're gonna watch the Love Butcher. Absolutely. You know, because the Love Butcher is the Citizen Kane of crap. Oh my God, it's so beautiful! I can sit down, I can watch that movie over and over and over again, and we have, we have. I think we watched <laughs> it three times in one night once. Oh God, it's just every time you notice something new, and it's beautiful. It's like uh, I, I, I don't know why. It's 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 a it's it's an accidental masterpiece. It's it's something. It's the greatest film ever made. We're not going to talk about that. We're talking about your book. All right, we're talking about my so book. So you're right. nominated for a Stoker. Well, possibly nominated no. for a Stoker. Okay, I'm not. I'm on the preliminary nominations before the nominations, before the actual official ballot for a, a Stoker Award. So you're nominated for a nomination. Yes. <laughs> hey, 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 hey. It's a big deal for me. It is a big deal. I'm not laughing at you. I'm just saying a nomination for a nomination. You made it to the top novels. ten. This is three novels in and a bunch of... Uh, 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 novellas, so this is the first really sort of official recognition I got. Yeah, and you made it to the top ten of all the horror novels written in the year. Right, or at least the ones that submitted. I mean, that's pretty badass. So, <laughs> tell everybody listening where they can get this book. Alright, go on Amazon uh, for What Hell May Come. My name is Rex Hurst, or you can go to Crystal Lake Publications, who uh, am, they have a lot of great horror novels there. Or you can find them on Patreon, of course, and just Crystal Lake Publications, or go to Amazon. That's where I usually buy all my books anyway. Yeah, and uh, I'm telling you, folks, it's a great book. And, yeah, obviously... It's you twisted. Can, you, to twist it, it's not for everybody. Let me put it that way. Definitely have an open mind to a sense of humor and a pretty dark, uh, disturbing tale. Um, if you're easily offended, do not read the book, buy it, so he gets money for it, but don't read it. <laughs> just give a five-star review. Yeah, give it a five-star review, buy it, and, you know, you can, like, if you got a table that's wobbly, you could put it under the table to, like, even out the legs, whatever, but yeah. buy it. <laughs> it's your book. You do whatever you want with it. Yeah. Yeah, you know what? You can you can uh, buy the book and g- give it to a relative you don't like. Yeah, even better. <laughs> but... It really is. I love the book. And it, I know it's obvious that... This is why we get complaints about you being obnoxious, Brian. Well, it could be, but I'm going to be nice now. Because it's obvious to people listening to this interview that Rex and I grew up knowing each other. <laughs> uh, we became friends as teenagers. We're still friends to this day. And I'm not one to blow smoke up his ass, because we're the most brutally honest people with each other. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And I love this book. The first book, his first novel... I liked it, but it kind of pissed me off a little bit because I'm one of the characters. I'm one of the characters in this, too. Right. 
But I like this one better. Yeah, because your character is a twisted Gandalf in this book. Yeah. The first novel, my character was kind of a schmuck. Yeah. What are you gonna do? Yeah, what are you I wrote do? the first. I wrote the first one that Jeff, so Jeff, that Jeff would like. Yeah, and uh, he would have loved that book. He would have. But this book is what hell may come, is especially anybody with an interest in the Satanic Panic or anybody who grew up around it or just on a historical view. Or anybody who likes gaming, Dungeons and Dragons and the legends of these things should really pick this book up because it is a hell of a lot of fun. Disturbing. It may give you nightmares. It'll certainly make you uh, question trusting other people, but <laughs> it is a great book. Now it's on the nomination. Many questions. If you're a character in the novel. Yes. If you're a character in the novel, it's made me question trusting you. Uh. I wouldn't trust my character. No. Um, when I when I create a character, usually it's based on someone I know, but they're they're polar opposite. So this is the anti Brian. Yeah. The character's name is a Brian Elder. <laughs> yeah. The Brian we get we get emails about. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it could be, but uh, no, it is. <laughs> it's a great book. And. I know you're going to be pumping out more stuff because you're a workaholic when it comes to this. You're a natural born writer. That's what yeah. you do. And uh, uh, I look yeah, forward well, to finished. it. Good, good. Excellent. Yeah, I have finished a couple more books. <laughs> Just finding, trying to find homes for them. Yeah, and Crystal Lake Publishing. Um, again, check out their website. A lot of, if you're a horror novel fan, that's a great company. And, you know, we got to ask a couple real quick questions before you go. Okay, no problem. One, did you die of dysentery when you played the Oregon Trail? Yes. Every time? Uh, I would say 75% of the time. Did you ever complete the Oregon Trail? No. <laughs> oh, once, when I got, once when a person abandoned their game and I jumped onto their game, so they had done most of the work, and then I finished it. Oh, so you cheated what at the Oregon Trail. What you get? You get a certificate saying that you've reached Oregon. Uh, it depends on which version you play. Then you get dysentery. You get you get a home. You get a picture, a pixelized picture of a homestead, saying congratulations. And then you get dysentery. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but you get it on your own land. In two, Pluto, planet or no planet? Ah, uh, planet. Absolutely. Just nostalgia's sake. Yep. See, Lauren? Planet. That's because he's your friend. Yeah, well, <laughs> true. Lauren, I gotta tell you a story about Rexy. Rex once convinced a girl that the moon was actually square. <laughs> Do you remember that? Oh, I remember that. I can never forget that. Uh, it wasn't the brightest girl, and this just shows you how well the Buffalo school system works. The, the convinced one, I said, the school, the movie, the, the, the moon's really square. She's like, what? I go, it's like when you take a, a um, as we know, when we see the moon, we only see uh, the light reflected off of it from the sun. So it's like when you take a flashlight and you point it at the wall, you only see that circle that's illuminated. Just like, you know, the sun reflecting it off the square side of the moon. And she and believed she it. Was. Yes. <laughs> My goodness. The moon was square. Oh, God. Well, you know, if you say something fast enough, a lot of people... Did you ever tell the truth? 
Uh, she eventually found out, yes. She found out in college, though. That's the scary thing. <laughs> so that's why you got to read no. his books. Uh, I do think she did find out in college, believe it or not. Yeah, that the moon is uh, round. Yeah. And that I'm just a, a, just a jerk. Well, I mean, come on. <laughs> I don't even feel bad about that. I mean, you're going to fall for something that that simple? Well, you know. I know. I mean, that's hysterical. It was absolutely hysterical. You know, the tough, toughest part was keeping a straight face when you were convincing her of this. <laughs> I should have won a fucking Oscar for that performance. <laughs> and you would look to me for reassurance, and I'd have to go, yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> but on that note again people you've got to pick up this book and and right, please give Kat my love tell her that uh, yeah. she will be seeing the love butcher when she comes into town you got it greatest movie ever made and uh, Lauren uh, any final words like you ordered all his books I will be well there you go definitely there you go. I appreciate it. Hope you enjoy it. All right. So, it's about time to say goodnight. And Rex, who's in uh, the Carolinas right now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So from Free Rick, Carolinas. That's what they're calling now. The Free Carolinas. So, from Rex in the no, Free Carolinas. lockdown. So, from Rex in the Free Carolinas and Brian in Buffalo. And with me, as always. Lauren from Swansea. Good night. Good night. But why are the campers seen as satanic? I mean, all they did was look cute and help people.